0: The New Testament reading is found in Psalms 34 verses 8 through 10 on page 554 in your Pew Bibles. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord for his holy for you his holy people. For those who lack him or for fear for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading today is um, from John 6, um, verses 47 through 60, on page uh, 1070. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever, drinks, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, and whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He, see, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church. Yesterday, uh, you know, our kids play hockey at 8 a.m. on Saturday mornings uh, and I was watching our girls, you know, our twins are seven, um, and they, uh, I was watching them play in the seven and eight-year-old division and I had this thought, man, if I was out there, I would just dominate right now, <laughs> I would just be like all over the place. And anyway. That story has nothing to do with my sermon, it just gives you, just gives you a little picture into my, my brain uh, for what it's worth. Um, interesting, I didn't have the same thought when I watched Oscar play The Next Hour, the nine and 10 year old division, because I was like, they could probably take me. There. But the seven and eight year olds, man, I would just. Anyway, let's pray, let's pray. <laughs> uh, God, you are so good to us. Uh, Your love for us is unfathomable and is everywhere, all around us and in us. If only we could have the eyes to see. So Holy Spirit, give us the eyes to see what is true and what is real and what is your very presence in our midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name. All God's people prayed. Amen. All right, uh, so we are in the second Sunday of Lent, this 40 day journey to the cross and to the empty tomb. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, a regular practice for us around here to practice uh, communion every Sunday during Lent. And so we're doing that again this year. And on top of that, this year, is a, as a sort of experiment, we're, we're trying it in different ways. We'll do a, a circle here again uh, in a little bit. Um, and so Jenna and I thought it would be fitting as we, as we try out different ways of doing communion, as we wrestle with the question of whether or not we perhaps even wanna make this a regular part of our weekly worship here. We thought it would be fitting for us to, to focus our sermons this Lenten season on the presence of Christ. And to uh, each Sunday look at some of these texts, uh, the words of Jesus or the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, um, in which Christ tells us uh, a little bit about what exactly this meal is. And so this is part two of six. If, if at the end of the sermon you don't have your mind wrapped around communion, fear not. Uh, I don't know if any of us ever will, um, but we have more to come as well. But specifically this week we're looking at these uh, these shocking words from John chapter six in which Jesus towards the end of this whole sermon he's preaching on uh, the bread of life and how he is the very bread of life, he says these shocking things like, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Can you imagine what it might have been like to be there that day when this, this teacher in this small Synagogue in Capernaum starts to say things like this. And if we're tempted, like some interpreters throughout history have been, to interpret Jesus' words as mere metaphor or to do, you know, the kind of historical distancing thing to say, like, those words sound shocking to us in 2023. But you know, there's this 2,000 years of distance and context and, and all that. Uh, notice that these words were just as shocking to the people who were there that day. Verse two, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're like, what is this guy talking about? And even his very disciples, Uh, it's actually the next passage and how our Bible splits it up, but I included it in today's scripture reading because, again, I think it just gives us an image of how shocking these words. If you notice in verse 60, right after this scene, John tells us, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? These were not, uh, verse six, he's talking about the disciples, and this is, that passage goes on. My Bible says, many disciples desert Jesus. One interpreter calls it uh, the great defection. These were Jesus' disciples. This isn't just a crowd of onlookers. These are people, many of whom had left their careers and their homes to go and to follow this Jesus that they had seen performing miracles right before this, feeding the the crowds of thousands of people, walking on water, making these lofty claims about himself, but this, this is just a little bit too far for them. And when Jesus gets this this sort of pushback, when he perhaps sensed in the crowd people starting to kind of look at him with their eyes uh, squinted and their heads cocked sideways, He doesn't back off. He doesn't say, you know, I'm speaking in hyperbole here. This is metaphor. It's imagery. No, he doubles down. Verse 53. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh, translated gobble up or feast. It's 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 the image used for describing ravenous animals. Unless you gobble up the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For, he says in verse 55, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. If Jesus did want us to grasp something of his real presence in this meal that we call Holy Communion, I don't know how he could be any more clear than that. I remember visiting a a friend's church in North Carolina once, and it was a Communion Sunday, and I remember the pastor going through the the liturgy using Jesus' words from the Last Supper and holding up the bread and saying, then Jesus said, take and eat. This represents my body given for you. And I thought, that's not what the Bible says. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say this represents my body, right? The, The Greek is very clear. Jesus says, this is my body given for you. He could have said, this bread and this wine, these are like the sacrifice of my body and blood, right? He could have said that. Jesus often was saying, the kingdom of God is like. He's very comfortable using metaphor. But no, he says, this is my body. This is my blood. Given for you, poured out for you. And so I love how uh, Len Vanderzee, in his book on the sacraments, how he says, in a very real sense, when we partake of this feast, we literally grab a hold of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And of course, many of us think, "How can that be, right? As, as modern or postmodern people and you know highly educated many of us, how, how can that be? I got to, to spend time this week reading Alexander Schmemann, uh, who's uh, an Eastern Orthodox, great Eastern Orthodox theologian and priest of the 20th century, who felt that God had given him as an Eastern Orthodox Russian, a special mission to the Western church. And he writes about how, uh, how off our categories in Western Protestantism is, how, how off our understanding of the sacraments are because he says we've lost a sense of symbol and the role of the church as priests to lead the world into seeing all of creation as symbol into the reality of God, as a way into understanding its creator. He says even, you know, all the the, the debates in Western history, if you go back to the 16th century, and there's transubstantiation and consubstantiation and symbol, and he says that the fact that we pit against each other Is this meal symbolic or is it real presence shows that we don't understand that symbol is the way into real presence. That for something to be symbolic is not over and against it being this overlap in the thin veil that separates heaven and earth, but it's a way into the divine. If only we could recapture enough of our Christian imagination to see that all of life is actually sacramental. He says the Catholics, you know, who, who go towards full uh, transubstantiation, right, who say this is the real presence, but it's something that, that in some way ceases, in a sense, to be just bread and wine and become, he says, no, 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 rather than leaning into how this is the fulfillment of a whole world in which everything in, is as it is, is a way into the divine. They, they make it into this separate, utterly unique uh, thing that stands on its own, divorced from worship and the call of the church to be priests. Anyway, that's, that's all very uh, ethereal and abstract, and if, if I lost you in that, that's okay, don't worry. But all that to say, there's, there's a blindness that I think so many of us, especially those of us trained to think in Western secular schooling, even Christian schools that have been so influenced by secularism. It's no surprise to me that we struggle to appreciate the mystery of the real presence of Christ in this meal. You know, there's this, this story I came across this week uh, in Dale Bruner's commentary on John, and his, his commentary on this, this bread of life sermon in John 6. I I'd never heard this story before of Martin Luther, but Martin Luther, who also believed, just like John Calvin did, in, in the real presence of Christ in this meal, he was pushed once by someone who said, okay, but how could, if Jesus really meant that you know, this feast, this meal is his real presence, then when he did this meal for the first time at the Last Supper, how could his real presence be on the table and sitting next to the table at the same time? How could that be, Martin Luther? To which Martin Luther responded, Jesus is good at miracles. (laughs) And Brunner asked the question after telling that story, might we simply take Jesus at his word in these texts? What if we begin not with all of our understandings and assumptions about faith and science? What if we begin by simply taking Jesus at his word in these texts? Listen to a sermon. You know, I've, I've, as I've been reading up on the sacraments, I, I've realized, I think this has been a sort of uh, deficit in my own kind of theological <coughs> training. And you know, when you're in seminary, sometimes you get, you, you do a big paper on this topic, you're interested in this, and I never really did a deep dive into the sacraments. I, you know, we covered it, a couple of lectures one week, and theology too. Uh, and so, as I've been reading these last couple weeks, people like Shmaman and, and studying some of these texts, I've come to realize that, more or less, I've really just thought of this meal as a symbol and not as the real presence of Christ, right? Believing that, that false dichotomy between symbol and real presence. I've more or less thought of it as, you know, Jesus is a great teacher, uses all sorts of illustrations and isn't it a gift that he gave us, this, this visual aid that points us to the cross, right? And, and, and to be sure, we are saved through the cross of Christ, not through the sacraments as though there's something other than, right? The sacraments connect us to the person of Jesus and Christ's work on the cross. But I've been convicted reading this week, it's been this like kind of mind-blown sort of, oh my goodness. You know, what if, what if it's true? What if when we celebrate this meal in this mystical sense that I can't wrap my mind around, what if I am literally grabbing a hold of Jesus? And I don't know if, if you can relate to this, but there are times in my, my prayer life, and my walk with God where I yearn for the physical presence of Christ. I often experience you know, an intimacy with Christ in my, my prayers or in our worship together on Sunday mornings or uh, sometimes just in that, that still small voice, that quiet moment when I sit in, uh, say, a pastoral care conversation with someone where you can feel, in a sense, the presence of Christ, but, but yet there's still this part of me that longs for the tangibility. I wanna touch Jesus. And what if, what if he's given us that gift? What if it's true? Dale Bruner again says, if everything that Jesus has been at pains to say again and again and again in this sermon in John six is true, then it's something that should utterly take our breath away. What if the gift of Christ's tangible presence has been right under our nose the whole time? And then it occurred to me as I thought about it this week, of course this would be the case. Doesn't doesn't this sound like Jesus? I had this thought this week that, you know, we... In Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation. I love the incarnation, right? That God becomes human, God enters the story, God takes on flesh. And yet, as I reflected on it, I, I realized, I've, I've always sort of believed that like Christmas is great and the incarnation is great. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But then, you know, 33 or so years later, he ascends to the Father. And now we have the gift of the spirit, which is no small thing, but, but we don't have his physical presence anymore. But again, this is, this is one of these, like my mind was blown this week moments of, but what if we do? What if the one, the God who came to us in the incarnation still comes to us? What if, Brunner says, the word continues to become flesh week after week in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And it's like, of course, this is the heart of God. This is everything we know about the God who loves us so much, who leans in so hard to reconcile relationship with us to reconcile the world to God's self that he comes to us in the incarnation this is the God who still comes to us in the bread and in the juice of this simple but holy meal and then Jesus says this just incredible thing verse 56 and 57 he says, Whenever you eat my flesh, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I remain in them. It's the, the same language that he'll later use in John 15, where he says, you know, it talks about the vine and the branches, and he says, Abide in me, just as I abide in the Father or as one translation puts it whoever is making a home in me I will make a home in them and then verse 57 he even he alludes to his relationship with the Father he says just as I experience intimacy with the Father so you will into you will experience intimacy with me and through me, the Father, through this meal. Again, I don't know about you, but this is just, for me it's like, it's been right under my nose this whole time. This isn't just an exercise we do every once in a while to remind ourselves of the gospel, or that we do because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, or because Acts 2 is the mark of the early church, right? The, the quadrilateral, the four things, the early church is described as tending to the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread. Yes, we do it for all those reasons, but we do it because in this meal, We're given the gift of Christ's very presence. In this meal, we grab a hold of Jesus. We experience intimacy with the incarnate risen Lord. What wonderful mystery this is. One last image to to leave you with. Uh, I, I remember talking to a friend Uh, When we were in Canada last summer, um, our friend Allie, she had just heard a sermon at her church on the Lord's Supper. And she said she was was struck by the preacher who said, uh, if you think about the five senses, and you think about the nature of relationships, There's a progression in the the way we experience each other through the senses as our relationships with one another grow more intimate. And you get you know, wonder with me: how many people do you think you would recognize through the sense of sight? Right? There might be hundreds or thousands of people that you can see and and you know them. And how many people might you know well enough? Probably a, a smaller amount of people, you, well, you know well enough that you, you might be able to, to recognize them through sound, through hearing. You could pick out their voice in a crowd or if they were standing behind you. And then as we get more intimate, how many people do you know through smell? You know this friend or this family well enough that you know what they smell like? How many people do you have enough intimacy with that you know what they feel like? And it just gets even more intimate from there, (laughs) right? To the point where it's so intimate, it's it's hard to even talk about aloud without feeling uh, nervous wondering if your job security is at risk. Uh, What a wonderful gift. What a, a symbol of God's intimate love for us. That our worship isn't just about seeing and hearing. It goes deeper than even just touch and smell that involves Touch and texture and smell and taste. How could the incarnate God get any nearer to us? Let's pray. God, what wonder there is in this meal. And Lord, what gift it is. Uh, as I think about the fact that uh, you come to us in this meal, not on the condition that we have this all figured out or that we understand it. I love that we baptize infants around here. We, we, we offer the bread and the juice the babies and toddlers. You come to us in these ways, whether we grasp it or not. You do all the heavy lifting and all you ask of us is that we come, that as Jen said at the start of the service, we open ourselves enough to you to reach out our hands. Thank you for this wonderful gift of grace, for the gift of the cross and the empty tomb, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of your very self, God, with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.